I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, our guest is Dr. China Jude, who is vice president with the Denver Broncos. China, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. It's, it's good to be here. Now, you have worked as a head coach and an athletic director. Most of my students think that they're going to come right out of college and get in that big chair. Describe your journey to becoming a head coach and about how long did that take? Wow, that's a great question. And it did take a while. Uh, Some of us are positioned to walk into some um, great places uh, almost immediately due to connections, uh, great networking and just timing and luck. Unfortunately, I did not (laughs) go through that route. Uh, After I graduated uh, from undergraduate school, I uh, worked in radio and television broadcasting. So I did that for about five years. And then that had me transition to working in community and social services, where I took that media relations experience to work in the community and work for a number of politicians. Uh, while I was doing that, I was coaching on the side, you know, on the high school level, just really being in, you know, paying back to the community. And uh, although I did not go back to my high school, I went to a rival high school. Unfortunately, uh, due to low resources, <laughs> we did not do very well. But I always promised myself that no matter what the win-loss record was, and I was coaching volleyball, basketball, and softball, no matter the win-loss record, I wanted to make an impact to make sure that the student-athletes had a college um, opportunities. And so uh, I wanted to really be able to connect with college coaches so we can send our student athletes to um, whether it's junior college or four year. It didn't matter. I just really knew that our win loss record wasn't going to take us anywhere. So um, along with that, I just continued to be involved and engaged in the community. Actually, my college coaching experience did not occur until I was in my early 30s. That's how long it took. (laughs) It took a while. And it's not for a lack of trying. It was just 
right place, right time. I remember I moved to uh, Florida. Uh, I loved Florida and to the Orlando area specifically uh, to the Winter Park, Winter Springs area and was coaching at a club there. And Rollins College hired a new coach, a new head coach. And the club director recommended me for her assistant position because it was her first time uh, being a head coach. And, And they knew that, you know, having someone with a little bit more experience, a little older, to can really be able to coach her mm-hmm. as she's coaching the team. And that's what happened. It was early 30s. I got in as an assistant coach at the Division Two level. And then that very next season, I became a Division One head coach at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And then although I struggled there as well, (laughs) that just really led me to some other coaching opportunities. And finally, uh, when I did land at the right school to have a a very good win-loss record, eventually I I turned into administration. And um, I just wanted to leave out on top to know that many of the, um, the strategies that I utilized did work. Maybe it was just not the right timing, right team, but eventually I did notice that it worked with the right recruiting and scheduling. And then I switched over to administration. Now you've been a head coach and you are also a director of athletics. Which Mm -hmm. one did you find more challenging? I, I think they're equally challenging. <laughs> I can, it's very difficult to put one on top of the other. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying that, because in both positions, it's about motivating and influencing people. And regardless if it's an 18-year-old freshman or someone's parent or even um, an associate athletics director who you hired and you're trying to convince them to learn the culture of the department that you're creating. It's all difficult. Tasks are easy, but leading and influencing people are difficult. Okay. I like that. Tasks are easy. Leading and influencing are difficult. And that's what our young administrators are going to have to learn if they're going to be able to advance their career. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, you were director of athletics at one of the largest Division II schools there is. And a lot of students coming out of college overlook Division II. They all want to work at Division I. What Um, can you share with them about the opportunities that are available in Division II? Oh, so many opportunities. Uh, Division II and Division III may not be from an aesthetics perspective, the most attractive because you don't see them on television. However, working in those type of environments allow you to strengthen your skills in many different types of opportunities. So um, the best part of division two and division three and and many institutions, not all of them, that sometimes there are some dual roles that you may have to work in. You may have to be a coach and the academic coordinator, or you may have to be the equipment manager working in the front office. 
But that's the best part about it because it gives you some well-rounded skills in the department. And of course, it also allows you to see the entire department across the board. Um, because when that time comes that you want to narrow down to a particular skill set, then you can position yourself accordingly, whether it's to uh, pitch that in the in that particular department, depending on the resources, or to pursue an opportunity in Division One, which actually focuses on one position. But there is a downside when it comes to working in some, and I do say some division one athletic departments, and at times it could be siloed. So you may work in a particular area and you will not have any understanding of what some of the other areas are doing because there's no connectivity. So sometimes you're feeling that you're in this box and now it's very difficult to get out of the box. Meaning if you, you pick a particular area, it's very difficult to convince your supervisor or the director that maybe you have range that you can do other things. Sometimes it's difficult to show that and many times to convey it, especially if everyone is running around doing their jobs and, and not really paying attention to the big picture. Now, you left being the vice president and director of athletics at Queens College to go to the University of Wyoming as a number two. What led you to do that? Why would you give up the big chair to sit in the chair next to the chair? <laughs> you know, and the interesting part is, is there were, uh, I believe at that time, really actually six um, six individuals in the senior leadership role. So there were, was the athletic director and then there was a deputy athletic director. And then there were four senior associate athletic directors. So I was one of the four. However, I was the only woman mm, out okay. of not only just the six, but at that time of the 12 total individuals who were serving on the executive leadership team, I was the only woman. And I was the only person of color. So, um, so in a sense, it does seem like it was the number two being the only woman. And I was right next door to the athletics director. But, you know, technically we did have a deputy athletic director. And so that is the number one question. Even to this very day, people still ask, why did I go to Wyoming? Well, let me kind of explain to you this way. Many times we have a tendency of looking for those very attractive type of jobs, jobs with the big names that you see on television, the type of jobs that is aligned with a particular director because it's about flash. Well, I wasn't looking for flash. Um, I was entering or yes, I was in the middle of my seventh year at Queens College as the assistant vice president. I won seven championships, 13 regional championships. I've had 13 coaches of the years. I've worked on many construction projects. You know, academics was strong. I did everything that I said I was going to do, including clearing a $1.3 million debt that I inherited. So everything was laid out in, in a great way. 
I had 19 sports, but one of the sports that I did not have was football. And I knew I wanted to have that uh, on in my portfolio and to work very closely with operations as well as with, with the coach. And so along with that, I was typecast. Uh, many people felt I was either good for division two or good for historically black colleges or even good for the East coast. And they could not see the industry is very narrow in their thought process. So I had to do something that I was going to have a football experience to take myself away from the East coast. Although I am from Chicago, but I spent a lot of time on the East coast uh, and intercollegiate athletics and really be able to showcase that I do have range. And fortunately I did meet the athletic director at the university of Wyoming who initially did not interview me when the first time the job was open. Uh, but six months later, that person who they did hire left. It was posted again and I tried again and I was hired. And we had a very candid conversation about many things. And I was very honest and open on what I was looking for. When you go in, you have to go in in a very honest way because if you say yes to everything and then all of a sudden, you know, you get into the position and you get upset, one of the things that will be said is you said yes, you would be willing to do it. <laughs> and sometimes people say yes just to get the job. So I was very candid on what I was looking for. He was candid on what he was looking for. We felt that it was a win-win. They needed some diversity. They needed different perspectives. I needed football. I wanted to be able to grow and it worked out well. I stayed there for three years and it was one of the best professional and personal experiences that I had in my life. That's great. Now, you've mentioned having a lot of different experiences as you've moved along. What skill sets do you think young professionals need to work on the most in order to be competitive for positions in athletics? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to answer that question by dividing it up in two categories. So the first one is a technical skill set versus the interpersonal skill set. So the technical skill set is just to make sure that you have the knowledge and whatever the governing body that you're pursuing, whether it's NCAA or NAIA or whatever, you definitely need that technical um, understanding on how governance structures work. You'll get a better appreciation of that. Uh, also, if you can make sure that all of your technological uh uh, knowledge is there. So not only just turning on a computer, but <laughs> being able to, to work because especially in intercollegiate athletics, there are so many different types of platforms that are being used in so many different ways through compliance or finance. Now it's NIL. I mean, it's just we're constantly throwing new technology. So I, I don't believe that uh, our young people now really would struggle that much with it versus maybe uh, our age, Maryland, where we have to like, we need to go get some training up. Yes. Um, so that that's really important. Um, 
I would say also from a, a, a technology, I mean, I'm sorry, from a technical skill set is making sure you have the experience. So whether it's volunteering, uh, whether it is, you know, going to the, um, whether it's a community recreation center, uh, I've worked in parks and recreation also. So when you work in parks and recreation, that was uh, my door opener to sports. I just did it in a community way as opposed to higher education. So any opportunity and don't, you know, get upset if it's not being, uh, if it's not paying a lot of money, actually my very first um, sports college sport experience as an assistant coach at Rollins college was only a thousand dollars. That was it. I got paid a thousand dollars. Fortunately, I had a full-time job. So that's the technical side. And I'm sure that I could name so many other things. The interpersonal side uh, is something that is very difficult to measure because it really depends on the environment, the culture and the climate that you're in, but you have to be pleasant uh, be able to um, ask questions, be inquisitive, uh, being able to handle pressure, to multitask, learn how to juggle. But with that juggling, making sure that you're an effective communicator to speak on if you are swamped, if you have a very full plate and be able to say, listen, I have seven projects and they're all due in one week which ones are the priority and, and to be able to effectively communicate and still be able to have fun with it. This is hard work and we are in the business to entertain others, but those small celebrations really means a lot, whether it's the, the big time, you know, trophy being held up or the game winning shot or, you know, when the, the, the star swimmer, you know, touches that wall and you didn't think that she was even going to get near that wall in a timely fashion. All all things, you know, should be celebrated because um, we really do want to keep uh, our young people around in this wonderful industry. Many people aspire to the athletic director seat, but not as many people stay. You were able to have longevity in that seat. What kept you there? <laughs> many things. Um, I do not um, allow people to block my blessing. <laughs> and that's, that is what will happen on a regular basis. Um, I'm sure you've heard the term crabs in a barrel. Well, that, that is real. That is real. Staying true to yourself. That is so important because if you adjust, keep changing based upon what other people think, you, you lose yourself and then you're trying to figure out how to stay afloat. And then don't give into pressure, peer pressure, and don't get into pressure that of of individuals who really do not have your best interest in mind. When individuals are in the chair, they answer to several people. They answer to the university president or chancellor. Many times the board of trustees or the board of governors, whoever's above the president, 
you have your alumni boosters, <laughs> you have your community, you have your student athletes who probably will hold you more than more than anyone, your student athletes and your coaches and the staff. So there are so many people that you have to answer to when you're sitting in the chair. As long as you speak on your truth, what you're passionate about and your philosophy, because when they hired you, they hired you based upon that. You have to stay true, keep that integrity and make sure that when you're working on various tasks or projects or whatever the focus is to maintain those two or three things, unless some emergency happens, of course, things will happen. But to maintain that, because you have to keep your own sanity, you have to stay focused because a lot of times different agendas will get in the way. So to stay in the chair is to maintain your focus and your patience on getting things done. Now, how important is it for an athletic director to be active in the local community? Extremely extremely active uh, for several reasons um, at Queens College uh, a lot of our funding either came from uh, the general student population or we ran five different community businesses you know we rented our pools uh, we had memberships gym memberships for the external community we had tennis courts that we rent out so we were not only taking care of the general student population, but we were taking care of the community as a whole. So we we felt that it was important to give back to the community with community service projects, uh, getting our coaches out to have speaking engagements, to really be able to connect with just all of our stakeholders. And besides, there are fans. These people are fans. And so any opportunity that we can uh, have a positive relationships, a relationship with our fans, uh, we definitely need to take advantage of that. I think that that's one of the advantages I had when I worked in non-for-profit and for uh, the various politicians. I already had community uh, engagement background prior to me getting into the intercollegiate space. And so engaging in the community is important. And even for the Broncos right now, I still do the same thing. I just had lunch today with our executive director of community affairs. And we were talking about the next community service project to get the players out, to get the staff out, because we do live in the community as well. Now, describe for our listeners your current role with the Denver Broncos. Mm -hmm. So I'm the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a newly created role that I started in April. Uh, this position is um, I'm outward facing as well as internal. So outward facing is I'm uh, going out in the community and engaging with really everyone. Uh, but a lot of time is spent with uh, black and brown communities in the uh, Denver metro area to make sure that we're providing support to whether it's Black Chamber of Commerces, Black Economic Council, the, the Latino um, 
the Latino Foundation, the Asian American Pacific Islander community. We just want to make sure that our community knows that the Denver Broncos support them and many of the initiatives that they do and whatever we can do to help be a resource for these communities, we are there. So that's why I work very closely with our community affairs department as well, um, as well as players. I had a meeting a couple of days ago with our players to speak about what are some of the social justice causes that we would like to um, help support our community in. Internally, uh, I work with RISE. RISE is a, a separate organization that conducts uh, training and education when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. That organization was created by the owner of the Miami Dolphins. And so they come in and they do training internally for um, our coaches and staff and players. And so I serve as a liaison to them. I also am responsible to ensure that when we do post a job and we try to be very intentional in our posting, that we're sending this job vacancy to anyone we can think of who would be interested. So I've tapped into HBCUs, I've tapped into other ethnic minority uh, social media sites, to let people know we do have vacancies and we do want uh, those individuals from marginalized communities to apply. They will be evaluated fairly. We're not going to just go pluck a, a relative or a college buddy. Uh, these are actual um, real life postings. And I work with the hiring manager to make sure that we're running our job uh, postings with high integrity so we can find the best qualified candidate. So, and so many other things, but that's a good chunk of things that I do. So what advice can you offer to the listeners who aspire to work for a professional athletics team? Start now, start as early as you can. And even if it's um, something as simple as being an usher at a game, um, you know, volunteering for a marathon, you know, any opportunity to be involved in the sports world would be helpful. It doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be full-time to begin with, especially if you're a full-time student, but to expose yourself and to participate in different types of networking opportunities. I, I would say that one advantage of being in this COVID environment, if I have to say there's an advantage, we do a lot of things on Zoom, like we're doing now. So there are so many different types of opportunities where you can listen in and learn from industry leaders about the profession. And um, that can really get you to learn a lot and connect with so many other people who are learning as well. And if you can pursue some internship or seasonal work, it definitely helps. What has been your biggest challenge or mistake and how did you overcome it? Wow. <laughs> we had a lot of mistakes. <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. There, there are so many mistakes that maybe I should write a book about that one. Um, let's see. 
I would say the biggest challenge or mistake that I have right now, and it could change tomorrow, but if I, if I thought about this, is when I took chances on individuals where maybe colleagues suggested for me not to take it, you know, not to hire them for whatever the reason is. And I, and I really felt that maybe under my leadership that maybe things would change. Unfortunately, the individual or individuals were the same when they worked for me. And um, to let someone go, it takes a little time. It's just, it can't be like immediately. Yeah, everyone has due process. So I had to work very closely with our HR team as well as um, with our legal counsel. So we know that we're following the policies accordingly to let people go. Now, nothing in life is free. What sacrifices do you think young professionals need to be aware of as they're progressing through their careers? Family. Family is a tough one um, because at times we're all uh, pursuing our careers and we forget about uh, the people in our lives who were with us when we didn't have a job or when we were broke or they fixed a plate for us. And then we we tend to forget them because we let our careers get in the way. So I would say that that it was a, a that's a very big issue in this particular industry, especially if we're pursuing coaching jobs. We're always on the road. We're recruiting you know, we're chasing the next player or, you know, it's in the case of me, I live in Denver and my family is in Chicago. And I remember when my, when my mother was living um, and that was a really tough time too, because my mother actually passed away the night when I was at an NCAA compliance regional rules seminar. Mm. And that was, that was tough. That was really tough. And it really made me think twice about, you know, is this this profession that important that I I lost my mother chasing a position, chasing a position. And so it's things like that we have to be careful um, about. So one of the reasons why I moved further west to Wyoming, one of many reasons besides football, is my son lives in Seattle. And I wanted to have a relationship with him that was stronger than it was when he was growing up, when I was chasing these jobs. And now that I'm a grandmother twice, <laughs> I'm a grandmother, I said, I am not going to lose this opportunity. I'm going to do everything in my power to spend time with my family and uh, with my grandchildren, as a matter of fact, tomorrow, I'm leaving straight there to be on babysitting duty with my two grandchildren. And I'm loving every second of it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I lost my mother as well. And you're right. It makes you rethink everything. Yeah. Yes, it does. Now it's overtime going to ask you some just quick questions and get some quick answers. Sure. What book do you suggest aspiring sport administrators read? 
our iceberg is melting. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's about change. And how do you handle making decisions under pressure? And who do you go to to get the help? What was your best day as an athletic director? Graduation. <laughs> okay. I love seeing our student athletes graduate, especially when they walked in the door and they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and what was the worst day in the ADC? When I, a death of a, a camper. Mm. I had a summer camper who died. She was 10 years old and it was devastating. Absolutely devastating. Mm. What is your go-to inspirational quote? My college volleyball coach would say this, and if I don't remember anything he's ever said to me, I will always remember this. Nothing is impossible but the impossible, which you believe to be impossible, only that's impossible. Wow. Wow. Repeat I that. will never forget that. Repeat Nothing is that. impossible but the impossible, which you believe to be impossible, only that's impossible, which for the most part, I, no matter what I do, people keep telling me if you can't do it, that's impossible. I'm like nothing's impossible. And where did you play volleyball? Alabama State University. <laughs> what is a motivational movie that you suggest young professionals watch? This is an old movie. Brad Pitt, Moneyball. Moneyball. Okay. Moneyball. And that that movie was was great because it talks about data analytics. So for all those you data science uh, students out there, that's the new job in sports, college and pro. Wow. Moneyball is very inspiring because it's all about how to use data to pick the right players for the team to win the championship. Okay. Any last advice? Stay your authentic self, no matter what. How can our listeners find you on social media? Twitter at China Jude. LinkedIn at China Jude, Facebook at China Jude. That's the best part of having such a unique name. I don't have to change anything. How about oh, that? Instagram at China Jude. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us and give a lot of insight and wisdom to our listeners. We really appreciate it. And we wish you and the Broncos, uh, I'm a Cowboys fan, so oh. it's hard to wish you success. But because you're there, I wish success for the team. Thank you very much, Marilyn. Okay. And good luck to everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.